I get it. I know, I know how hard it feels, but I need you to know it gets better. What's going on, everybody? Emily Abadi here. You are listening to episode 251 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential. And of course have some fun along the way. For today's episode, I am chatting with Yuma Hydera. Yuma and I were introduced by the team at UFOS. She was on a panel I hosted during Boston Marathon Weekend, and that, within minutes of getting to know her, was exactly when I knew I wanted to sit down with her for the show. Now, in today's episode, she talks to me about enlisting in the Navy and what it was like to see combat, plus how that experience impacts her to this day. She talks openly about her experience with Home Base, a national nonprofit dedicated to healing the invisible wounds of war for veterans of all eras and the struggle of losing some of her closest friends to suicide. She also talks about how she stumbled into a career of truck driving and how that was actually the influence for her to start taking care of herself through journaling, therapy, and running. This was a really impactful and beautiful conversation, and I do want to say a huge thanks to the team at UFOS for connecting us. Now, if you don't know about UFOS, UFOS makes footwear that reduces pressure and demand on your feet and your joints. So instead of feeling fatigue and pain and tightness, all of those nasty things that come hand in hand with spending time on your feet and being active you can feel better thanks to some of their recovery footwear. They've got sandals, they've got sneaker-inspired looks, lots of options, and I rounded up some of my favorites for you to check out. Just head on over to ufos.com. That's O-O-F-O-S.com slash collections slash Emily. Again, that is ufos.com slash collections slash Emily to check out my favorites. I am also, a little bit of housekeeping here, going to put some links in the show notes to both the home base program that Yuma talks about in our conversation, as well as some helpful resources for anyone who may be struggling themselves with anxiety and depression. Know that you are certainly not alone. Make sure you're following along with Hurdle over on social. It's at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Avati. And with that, let's get to it. Let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Yuma Hydera. She is an UFOS athlete. She's also a Navy veteran and by day, a truck driver. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to be. We're in Boston. Yes. It's a good place to be. Very hot day. I'm sure by the time this podcast will come out, you will have already run the marathon. So let's start off by what advice would you want to give yourself on Marathon Monday before towing the starting line? 
no matter the outcome, make sure you enjoy yourself. Love that. Is that something that you've been able to do for most of your running journey? And we'll we'll kind of talk about how you get into that. But I think so. I'm not the fastest person on earth. So like time goals usually go out the window. Yeah. I just like want to enjoy myself, be injury free and just like really take in the experience of the marathon. Have you always been able to have that mindset? No. Oh, okay. So what's <laughs> what switched your mindset? I think when I started doing marathons, I think with shorter races, I didn't have that mindset because then I would be going for like time. But something about like the distance and just knowing that anything can happen, I had to let go. Yeah. Yeah. You had to let go. Yeah. There's a lot of wild cards out there. Everything can happen. Anything. Anything. So before we talk about your journey with running, I do want to uh, give some context because I listed off some really cool stuff that you're doing right now. First and foremost, Navy veteran. So what inspired you to go into the service? Um, When I was growing up, I always loved the structure of the military. I was in JROTC in high school. So it almost felt like right to go into the military. And I also was just in a place of life where it felt like the right step to go in. And also knowing that I could get my degree that way, it just felt like the most financial, stable way of going after high school. And when you say you were in a stage of life that it felt right for you, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, my upbringing was a little tough. Mm -hmm. So like my home life wasn't stable and I just knew I needed to be able to get on my own two feet. And financially, I just didn't want to be in any kind of debt going into college mm. and college debt. We all know about student loans and I didn't want any of that. And the military just gave me this safe space to be able to get on my own two feet while also being able to get my degree. What made you decide Navy? Funny. So I actually wanted to go Marine Corps and my older brother is a Marine and he was like, no. He would not let me. Yeah. He was actually recruiting at the time. So he like told everyone basically do not let my sister join. So I was like, well, I'm going to go next door and I'm going to work with the Marines then, you know, being the sassy little sister. And that's exactly what I did. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Did he think that by telling you you couldn't join his branch of service that maybe that would dissuade you altogether from going into the military? I think he did because he knew I was like basketball was like really big in my life at the time. And I so I had like potential. I had really good grades at the time and I think he really wanted me to go to the traditional route but I just couldn't see it for myself mm. and he also knew he had already been on a few deployments he also knew the environment that I would be going into so he just wanted to protect me yeah which is understandable yeah. uh for context how tall are you six feet <laughs> I just feel like the listeners need to know because you're like I was really good at basketball I'm like she's also very tall yeah <laughs> also very tall and you just didn't see that that was a path that you wanted to pursue No. Yeah. I don't know why. Like, even like I did all the things, camps, AAU, like visited all the colleges. I had prospects and it just didn't feel like the right decision. Because even if I got the scholarship, went to the college, I would still have to pay for things. So now I'm supposed to work, too, Mm -hmm. while going to school, while also playing basketball. It just felt like the hardest way to get my degree. Uh, When you make the decision that you're going to go into the military, what does that look like for you from the get-go? You said, obviously, great, because they would pay for your education as well. 
so initially I thought I was going to be going in as a corpsman, which is a nurse. And the wait list was like six months long. And I really wanted to go like the summer after graduation. So they said I could be a builder. So in my head, like my head, I'm like, OK, I'm going to be building things on the ship, like cool, whatever. And so and then they also said, but you can change like down the line. That's kind of like how they get you, you know, like you can get the job you want later. That's not true. <laughs> Anyone joining the military, it's very much harder to uh, switch rates afterwards. But went in as a builder and I went in in August of 2007. And for me, it was get through boot camp and like get to your A school. I wasn't really like aware of what my job entailed or what I would be dealing with. I kind of really just went into like, I don't know, get it done, like get in as fast as you can and start getting a paycheck and mm -hmm. start, you know, starting your adult life. Basically, right. What was the division between your time working versus studying versus whatever you had to get done? So I didn't end up going to school until after my first deployment, because my whole first year in the military was training. I went mm -hmm. through boot camp and then I went to builder school and then I went through combat training and then I had to get to my battalion. And then right when I got to my battalion, we were being deployed. So I had no time to go to school. So when I came back, the work schedule is you wake up, you PT. And then when we're in a home port, as we call it, there's not much to do because we build the bases like in Iraq and Afghanistan. So like when we're here, it's like, we might like maintain some buildings and stuff, but we don't have a full work day or do trainings. Right. So it made it actually very easy to like be able to slip out for a few hours and like study or do homework and then come back. And then I would go to school at night. Right. Yeah. So it ended up working out pretty well. Two things. First thing, when you say that you built for Iraq and Afghanistan in your capacity, did you see any combat? Yes. OK. Yes. Our first place we were at in Ramadi, Iraq, it was already built. So we were maintaining and like build, like expanding it. Um, but you're still like we're getting attacks at night. Like even though you're in the base, it's just like not not even a safe space. And then we would still do outside projects. So you're always just kind of like in the middle of it, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I know. And I'm I so I so I guess I'd love for you to like expand on that a little bit. How did being in that situation feel for you? So can I start with like the flight over there? Yeah. You can start wherever you want. <laughs> it's just very interesting because I'm 18. Yeah. And I like I'm around all these grown-ups to me, people that have deployed before, and I'm almost just going off of their vibe. And you're also a woman. Which yeah, there aren't many of you. Not especially in the CBs, like it's like specifically what I was doing, and I just was like, okay, if everyone else around me is like calm, like what you see, right? Then I should be calm. Mm -hmm. Like I can't be that the person freaking out, right? Like like you said, also as a woman, like suck it up, be tough. Like mm -hmm. you can't show the boys any weakness, whatever, whatever. But even on the plane ride, they start handing out Ambien to like relax us because the plane ride was so long. It was like. We had to get over to Ireland and then we had to jump over. So we had such long flights and they just wanted us to be calm. So it turns out everyone was like internally freaking out. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you get off the plane and it's pitch black because they like to do movements at night. Right. So you're not detected. And you're just in the back of this huge truck. I, you probably see them in the movies. Mm -hmm. There's like rows of seats and it has like the little tarp over. So like no like real protection, you know. And I remember being like, just sleep, sleep until you get to base, because like, if anything happens, you can't do anything. Like, I just remember having that thought of like, you have no control, just sleep. And we had like our weapons and our flak vests on us. And you have like this little neck 
guard and you have your helmet on. And I just like put my chin in the neck guard. So I was like, if a bullet comes through, it'll hit my helmet. Like I was already thinking like worst case scenario, like right. what's going to happen. And I was just like, just sleep. And then I, I did. I literally just passed out until we got to base. Like because otherwise I would have been so anxious. It was like the only way for me to like calm down. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like the whole deployment was almost like that same mindset of we have a job to do. You do the job and like anything can happen. Be ready. But like you cannot freak out all the time. Mm -hmm. But internally, you're almost like hyper aware, always vigilant. Like it's and you get so used to it. Yeah. You're just living with this level of ambient anxiety. Wow. But wow. it's normal, like, yeah. you know, for the environment. Right, for the environment and the fact that you're surrounded by it, right? Like, you're not the only person that feels this way. And I would be curious to know if that was something that was spoken about amongst all of you. Oh, my gosh. Of course no. not. No, yeah. And so it's so funny. In the military, instead of talking about real issues, it becomes a dark humor joke. Yeah. Like, And it's funny to laugh it off. And people get bad habits and like you know personalities start to shift and you see it all happening and you you still don't even tie it to oh it's because we were in these situations you just think like ah so and so needs to get it together you know what I mean Mm -hmm. because like we've all been there get it together suck it up whatever it's almost like this toughness thing right so mental health is not talked about at all right um how you should feel like going into deployment is not talked about how you're feeling during deployment is not talked about. And then when you're on your way home, you watch like this little like 30 minute video on PTSD. Did it's hilarious because it's like this guy. I'll never forget it. It's this guy and he's like going home to his kids and his kids are like scared of him because they haven't seen him in like a while. Right. So they're kind of hesitant. And that does happen, you know, especially if like he left in there or like a young toddler. Right. And he goes to like hug him and they're like distant. And then he's like, he gets mad about it. He's like, these are my kids. Like I've missed you and they don't like me. And the wife's kind of scared because she noticed like he's a little different, Mm -hmm. you know, like people can just feel the energy like, oh, they've been somewhere. They've seen something. And I remember being like, that's not going to be me. Like, that's crazy. Right. And when I came home, my mom and my best friend were there and I I, to this day, I apologize to my best friend because I was so snappy because I was so used to everything being in order, everyone moving like this, whatever. And they just were not on that level. I noticed like, oh, I am like this. Like, I don't know. How did that feel for you? I felt horrible, Mm -hmm. but I also didn't think it was PTSD. I -hmm. just thought I was like, oh, it's just I'm just not used to transitioning back to the civilian world like of I just course. needed time right? right so I was like oh that's all it is and then I did like whatever dismiss it was it weird for you when you finally got to a place where you did talk about all of these feelings if I'm being honest I probably really really started talking about these feelings within the last year wow like I've good been- on you Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was hard because I was in such denial about my mental health. Mm-hmm. I because I was I was thriving. I was still functioning. I was working full time. I was going, going. But I didn't realize that that was like almost my addiction or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like some people go to alcohol. Some people go to the gym. And mine is like, don't give yourself a second to think. Work a full time job. Have a small business. Do this. Do that. Help so and so. Like never let yourself have like two seconds to sit on the couch to even like mm-hmm. think. Right. Until my my body just couldn't do it anymore. Until I literally shut down is when I finally was like, I need to I need help. What did literally shutting down look like for you? I couldn't move my body. Where I, were you? Oh, 
(laughs) (laughs) I was driving uh, my job and I delivered to a store in Connecticut and I was on the way home. It was probably like three hours away. And I had pulled over to go to bed that night in a service plaza. And that night, my phone was kind of like ding, ding, ding. People were calling me. And I I just remember like feeling like this well in my chest. And then all of a sudden my heart was racing and I like couldn't move. And like, thank God I was parked. But I like now know I was having a panic attack. I like thought I was going to die, but I couldn't even like pick up my phone and call anybody. Mm-hmm. Like, so I just like moved to my bunk, laid down until it like passed like an hour later. And I called my friend. I was like, I think something's wrong. Like, I might need to go to the hospital. I'm in Connecticut. This really sucks. Like, whatever. And they're like, you're, you're probably fine. Like, just go to bed. And the next day, I slept like 16 hours. Mm-hmm. I didn't wake up till like 2 in the afternoon. I call work and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm not feeling good. Like, And they were like, we'll come down and get you. Because that's how I make my company's amazing. They're like, we'll drive a car. And then one of us will drive the truck back. And you just get in the car and we'll drive you home. And I was like, no, I'll be fine. I'll figure it out. Because I felt bad inconveniencing people to drive like 3 I hours to me. <laughs> yep, I understand. Yeah, especially. And also another man's world, right? Don't I don't know. It's like you one of the things. You thrive in these <laughs> In these man's world, these t- typically, typically men's world. right? Yeah. Making your own way. You have to. You have to. Yeah. And I I don't know why I'm like attracted to those jobs, honestly, but you know, I'm comfortable there, I guess. Okay. Um. So that was, and it was funny at the time I was also working nights, I should say that. So in my head, it's like, oh, you're just tired. And that's what I like said it was. And I went home that day and I didn't get out of bed for seven days. Mm. And my boss at the time, she was like, Yuma, you need to see somebody. Like, she's like, this is more than being tired. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, just keep, like, PTO. Like, I'll, I'll come in eventually. I'm just tired. Like, my circadian rhythm's off, whatever. And she's just like, no, you need to put in for LOA. You need to, like, see a mental health person. And, like, if it wasn't for her even, like, putting that seed in my head, mm-hmm. I was still in denial. Yeah. You know, like, I didn't even know that this was what, uh, like, a depressive episode looks like yeah I didn't even know that terminology totally yeah and often we don't right I remember when I went through my own depressive episode at the beginning of last year I at before I kind of came to terms with it I remember that I was sitting on my couch and I was listening to someone else talk about what depression looked like for them and when she said the word the words I just felt stuck That really resonated with me because I had never heard it described that way before. So when she said, I felt stuck, I felt it like in my chest when she said that. And I was like, that's exactly how I feel. This is exactly how I feel. And I hadn't been able to vocalize or put words to it or sum up like how I had been feeling until I heard those words. And I was like, okay, maybe this is something that I should look into. Maybe after hearing her give that breath that I had the opportunity to then do something for myself. So when you heard that from your superior, what happens next? A little backstory. Yeah. So this happened in like, it was December 9th. I'll never forget the day. Obviously Uh, I had ran the New York city marathon. What? Maybe like two weeks before that. And I ran for the home base program, which is like helping veterans heal their invisible wounds. And at that charity dinner, I made a little joke like, haha, I probably raised all this money for myself. 
So there was already like some sort of awareness that I was like dipping, but I was still like in denial that I needed it now or yeah. whatever. And everyone at the table took me very seriously. They gave me a number to call. They even called the person to be like, if she doesn't call you, call her. Because I think they already knew like I was kind of like in denial about it. Two days later on Tuesday, he calls me and I'm like, uh, I'm okay. Like you can put me in, but like, I don't need to go now because it's two full weeks. And I was like, Ugh. and the holidays are coming up. And I was just like, I and what, can wait. So what is it? It's, um, this program, it's actually here in Boston. Okay. And what they do is they like bring veterans from all over that are dealing with mental health issues. And they put you in group therapy every day. They have art therapy, they have recreational therapy, hmm. and then you have individual therapy. So every day is scheduled out and you're in a group of 12 people. They call them cohorts. And it's, Absolutely amazing. It's a year of therapy crammed into those two weeks. Wow. They put you in a hotel nearby. So it's not inpatient. Like you still have your freedom, but they provide everything, meals, um, all the medical care you need. If you ran out of your prescriptions, whatever, they take care of everything. So there's no cost to you. And I think so many veterans need it. Like I said, most of us are in denial of what we're dealing with. Oh, yeah, I got off track. So he asked me, I said, no, no, no. Like, you know, wait, two weeks later, I have this panic attack. I call him sobbing. Like, I need to get in now. At the time when he asked me, I would have been in in two weeks. When I waited two more weeks to call him, I had to wait till March to get into mm. the program. How did that feel? I didn't know what to do. And he was like, we have resources. And this is a good thing. He was like, we will find resources that work with your insurance, um, get with the VA. And at the time, I was not in the VA system. I was. It took me even longer to get in the VA system. That's a whole nother guilt trip and whatever. Yeah. Um, and he's like, we'll give you all the resources, which he did. But even still, I still had to wait on wait list until February. I didn't get to see any therapist until February. I It makes me so mad. It makes me mad. I'm mad for you. I had a similar experience where like just waiting to get access to a doctor despite having health insurance, still needing to wait. And it's just so frustrating that this is the system and there really are no solves. And it's like, unless you have exorbitant amounts of money somehow to get around the system, this is just how it is. It just, it breaks my heart that you had to wait that long. And I, I really share in that frustration. I really do. So to provide a little bit more context, because I know we've like touched on the fact you said you ran the New York City Marathon. Uh, when did running actually come into the picture for you? When I started trucking. Okay. I, I was, it's funny because now looking back, I had a depressive episode before. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't like attest it to that at the time. But um, in my transition out of the military, I was still in nursing school and I was just doing a lot. And I was go, 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 like always. And I started shutting down. Like I started calling into work, barely making it to school on time, just like laying in bed all day. And I started packing on pounds and I just got like to this really like heavy, like, not physically heavy, but like, you know, like mentally heavy place where just like moving your body feels like Impossible. the hardest thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I just like kind of, I started like financially dipping because I was calling out of work all the time. So in my head, after I finished my nursing school, I like went and took my finals, whatever. And I used to drive by the trucking school all the time. And I just stopped in there and was like, I want my CDL. And I did that. And I Wait, started CDL. Yeah. What's it what's it stand for? Uh commercials driver's license. Got it. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's fine. I no, the hurdlers want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you asked me that. Yeah. So when I started driving, I remember getting my physical done because you have to get a DOT physical like to prove that you're healthy to be on the road. And I was almost three hundred pounds. And mm. yes, I'm six feet, but like for me that was a lot. And 
I like, I think it was like a slap in the face, like, oh, you've just like let yourself go, you know? So I started driving and I just started being really conscious about like what I was eating. And that's kind of how I started like my healthy journey, like just nutritious foods. And I got a crock pot, was making all these like chucker meals. And I just noticed that I was doing it like the unhealthy way because I like was doing like the keto thing. And I was like, this is not sustainable. And I was like, the only thing that I can do on the run that I can guarantee I can do is run. Like I can park somewhere and run down the road, even if I have to run laps around my truck. Mm. That's a way to get my body moving because I couldn't guarantee I could get to a gym. I couldn't guarantee I could have a shower. I couldn't guarantee anything. So in doing that, I just bought a pair of running shoes and then I signed up for a 5K like months down the road and I just started running. Just started running. Yeah. How did running feel for you at first? Horrible. Yeah, I hated it. (laughs) It was absolutely horrible. I could barely run like 30 seconds, huffing and puffing. Everything hurts. This sucks. All the negative thoughts. Like, how dare you try and be out here? You look too slow to be running on the road. People are probably like, what are you doing? All, you know, just (laughs) spiraling. What kept you going? The goal of just being healthy. I just wanted to feel healthy. And did you have any benchmarks around that at first about small things that you wanted to achieve to get to that ultimate goal of feeling healthier? I feel like I started maybe with running. I think running helped me set goals. Mm -hmm. And when you can accomplish those, it makes you feel better. Run a minute without stopping. Run a mile without stopping. I was doing intervals. And it was just like cool just to see oh, I can run two miles without stopping. And like, oh, I ran up this hill. And then I started like putting it towards my life. Like the way I thought, I started listening to podcasts that were like really about like how you view the the world and how you view yourself and your space and like being grateful and just trying to like practice that in my life. And I think it really made a difference and it made me mentally healthy even though I didn't appreciate it at the time because I didn't know. But (laughs) physically healthy is what I saw because my body was responding to this positivity. In my depression, I gained weight because my body, I could be eating healthy, I could be running, I can do all the things, and my body is like, nope, you're stressed. You're hanging on to everything. Right. No, that totally makes sense. I mean, your metabolism can be depressed just like you can be depressed, right? And so it all kind of coexists together. And when you the research shows, start to take care of yourself and move your body, you're more likely to be proactive in whatever else your goals may be. And so it's totally understandable that there was a correlation between putting on weight and how you were feeling mentally. You kept at running because you were able to see the bigger goal. It's interesting to me, but what we see here is that by not fixing those underlying issues, no matter you were running and you were getting better and I'm using like air quotes but though we still needed to put in the work it's funny like you were running so like yes this is depressive episode happened in December so very close <laughs> to yeah, yours yeah um and I stopped running for like six months and I had Chicago Marathon coming up this past fall mm. and I hired a running coach and I, I was back at square run like running like 16 minute miles and like I'm still in this very dark headspace like you're not worth anything how dare you get out here and even try like so everything in my head is negative so even though I'm running and I know this is something I love I know it somewhere deep down inside me I know it it feels like the worst thing ever and it's all coming from my mind so I like as I've gotten better throughout the year and like now I feel like 
I'm running and I, I'm enjoying it. Like my mind is telling me I'm enjoying it. Like I'm able to just sit in and be okay instead of like filling it with like negative thoughts and just spiraling. And then the run is horrible because you're mentally horrible. I remember when I went to finally see a doctor, she said something that I hadn't realized, which was that I may have noticed that things that typically bring me joy don't feel the same. And for me at the time when I wasn't injured, I would be running and it would just be something that I checked off the list for the day, right? Like I just knew that like I'm a runner. I like to run. So I'm going to check this thing off. And what ultimately I was doing was I would just be thinking about all of this stuff that didn't serve me as opposed to how grateful I am to move my body and the wind blowing my little bun around and, you know, the great playlist or podcast that I'm listening to, like all of that was lost on me because I was just doing this thing because I felt like I was supposed to be doing it. And so that truly resonates with me as well. Um, your experience. Now, I think that I would be remiss if I didn't ask you if there has been in the last year, maybe a moment or two that distinctively felt different that you noticed you were kind of coming out of it. Um, man, it took, there was like one run I did with my friend. It was just a four mile run and it started raining on us. And it was like one of those hard days, like getting out off the couch was hard. And like I had to link up with friends to even get my training runs in because then I felt obligated, you know? Yeah. And she, we like did it and it, it felt good. That was like the first time, like I didn't feel like my, the whole run I'm having negative thoughts. It just felt like light and airy. Like my brain wasn't going like into this negative spiral. And when we finished, I was like, man, I love this loop. Right. Like, and I blamed it on the, on the loop that we had done. I have since done the loop. The loop is not that great. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's actually very hilly, but it was just like my mindset that day had like a level of like clarity, like something like opened up like, oh, you like this. Taking a break from today's episode to give some love to my sponsor at Gooder. Gooder makes my favorite sunglasses hard stop. They are no scratch. They are polarized. They are no bounce. And they're perfect for, gosh, going on a long run on Saturdays. And now this is part of my vocabulary as I'm finally getting into longer distances again. Knocks on wood, please. Just recovery. Let's keep going here. And also, they're great for everything else. Running errands, travel, gifting. Seriously, if you need a Father's Day gift, I have got you covered. This is it. And there are so many different shapes and styles for every single taste. Now, of course, Gooder wants to hook you up and I am here to facilitate that. Head on over to gooder.com, that's G-O-O-D-R.com, and use the code HURDLE at checkout to get free shipping today. Again, that is gooder.com. Use the code HURDLE at checkout to get free shipping on your style today. Also, got to give some love to AG1 from Athletic Greens. My go-to greens powder with 75 whole food sourced ingredients as well as prebiotics, probiotics, adaptogens, superfoods. Legit, it is my all-in-one nutritional solution to give my body exactly what it needs so that I can feel better on 
the regular. Listen, I used to haphazardly just take whatever gummy vitamins were on sale at the store, and now I know better. So that is where AG1 from Athletic Greens comes in. Trust me, you will not regret investing in your overall health and well-being. Plus, I swear this has been part of my immunity secret for years now. Get in on the AG1 gang by heading on over to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle and get five free travel packs as well as a year's supply of vitamin D with your purchase today. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash hurdle to get freebies with your purchase today. Let's get back to it. Since you had said that you weren't going to be able to gain access to that program until March. So were you able to go through that two weeks of programming? Yeah, I ended up going that someone had dropped out in the end of February. So I ended up going like a, a session earlier, okay. which is great. And oh, man, did I need that? What were your takeaways from that experience? I wasn't alone. So that was the thing. This whole time I'm like in bed. I can't go to the grocery store. I can't do anything. I'm door dashing Instacarting. Like I'm not telling people that I'm not moving, you know, yeah. being very hush hush about it. And when I did talk to people, they would say things like me. So well-meaning, you you love going outside. Just go for a hike. Just go for a run. And it, it means so well, but they don't understand that I can't move my body right now. And even if I did said thing, I'm not going to feel better. Mm -hmm. This isn't like a sad day. You know, it's deeper than that. And so I couldn't explain it to anyone. No one in my immediate life had gone through something I was going through to this extent. I would get frustrated opening up. And then when I went to this program, there was 12 people in that room going through exactly what I was going through. When I we're still in a group chat. We still always text each other. People I would never run across I mean they're all around the country and I needed that more than anything just that camaraderie like obviously yes the therapy was great my therapist there to this day was still the best therapist I've ever had I have not done a therapist yet on that level unfortunately but they have amazing doctors there the way they care for you the way they look out for you at the time I wasn't getting out of bed the days there go from seven to five and I couldn't imagine getting up at seven in the morning and people in my cohort would knock on my door to make sure I was awake, like call my cell phone. It was just the way everyone was just caring about everybody is exactly what I need. And I needed to not be in my apartment. Yeah. I lived on my couch, mm -hmm. lived on it. And it was so nice to be able to get up every day, even though it was forced and it took me hours to be grateful to be awake. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not a morning person. Um, but it, it gave me a routine that I definitely needed. Yeah. Oh, I, even your energy shifts when you when you talked about that just now, like just the gratitude that is reflective in your voice. And it's it's so stellar that there is a program like that. I'm curious to know, like how widespread knowing of that existence is like, do individuals know about that when they're coming back from combat? No. Huh? Yeah. And it's they're they're trying to be like more like loud about is this a national program it's a national program but it's just not well known it's here in boston so like veterans in this area know about it they do like this big race every july the run to home base you get to run around like run across the home base plate at fenway so mm. a lot of people like know about it in that aspect but like veterans even the ones i served with like i'm always posting around they're like oh i didn't know about this mm. you know and i'm yeah. like you need to know you need to know that you can get help 
Is there a proper name for it? It's called the Home Base Program. The Home Base Program. Yep. Okay, I'll look for some links and I'll put those in the show notes yeah. too. Oh, thanks. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, of course. No, I mean, I, again, I'm so happy that you were able to go there and clearly it's made such a profound impact on you. You you even said earlier, like, I realized that I was just doing all these things to avoid dealing with my feelings, right? So you, you know, stumble into this truck driving school <laughs> and you're like, this is exactly what I'm going to do. At the time, do you, reflecting on it now, do you think that you actually wanted to do that or it was just another distraction? I think it was an escape. Yeah. Like being on the road for months at a time, not dealing with anyone. Talk about isolating. Yeah. Right. And being, and I was fine with it. Yeah. Everyone's like, you don't get lonely. No, I love this. How bad is that? Do you uh -huh. know what I mean? Like I disconnected from people like physically, right? I didn't have to like be around. I didn't have to show face. I could just like go on the road. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about that. Tell me a little bit about what it was like when you first started driving and what kind of schedule you maintained. When I first started driving, I started out of Wisconsin in like November. Mind you, I was stationed in Mississippi for the last like seven years. Very cold. Very cold. <laughs> Your face. <just> like <laughs> like uh, negative 17 wind chill because wow. you're right on the lake, you know. And I had no winter clothes anymore because now I've been stationed there for whatever. I like went to Walmart. I was wearing like three pairs of pants, like buying every jacket possible. But my schedule ended up being like being on the road for like a month or two and then coming home for a week or two. And I would just go on the road until like a friend had a wedding. So I'd have to be in town for that or whatever. And it was cool because I was able to do that cross country. So I was able to see people all over the country and mm. just like do events here and there without ever having to buy a plane ticket. I'd just be like, hey, I need to be in this town this weekend and they'd make it happen. Right. Yeah. So you would just drive that route. And were you driving for one company specifically? Yeah. This company out of Wisconsin called Rail. Okay. Yeah. How would it work then? You would drive during the day and then sleep in, at night? Yeah. So in the trucking world, we work we're allowed to work a 14-hour day, mm -hmm. and then you get a 10-hour break, and then you do it again. Okay. So you can only do that up to 70 hours, which usually run out on the fifth or sixth day, and then you have to do a 34-hour reset so you can get all your hours back. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So when you were driving and you'd be in different locations, how would that play out? So I would, it would be my reset. Okay. So I would, like, work that full week and, like, drain my hours, and then I'd be able to, like, hang out for... It'd always be more than th 34 hours, but yeah. it was nice to get back to the truck and have like a fresh week of hours. Okay, cool. And so despite, as we've kind of already laid the foundation for using this as a way to avoid dealing with your feelings, how did you feel about trucking? I loved it. You did? Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, you like driving. What What would you do in the truck? Would you listen to music? Would music, you podcast? Podcasts. Yeah. Books. Oh my gosh. So my first year, I know this is so corny, but you remember those chicken for the soup chicken? Chick chicken soul? Soup for the teenage soul? Chicken, chicken soup. soup. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for helping me. You're welcome. That. Okay. Yeah. Um, they had like these uh, CD like audio books. Yeah. And I would put those in and I would just like listen to them and like cry and like laugh. Oh. And yeah, I just got so sucked into it. And that was like a vibe for me. I found like everyone possible. Oh my God. And like listen to them because at the time it was 2014, but like podcasts on your phone weren't as easy like spotify no, didn't have different. them yet yeah. yeah i had to use like Castbox or some weird app for podcasts and there were so many ads so it was just nice to have like the cd version of things but yeah 
Wow. <laughs> I know it's okay. so random. No, it I is super that. random. I don't think I've heard anything about the Soup for the Soul books since like at least 2004. Yes. <laughs> You're bringing it back. Okay. So you started driving and then when you said that was 2014. So when did you actually find running? Give me a timeline. Oh, I think my first race was in that spring. Okay. Yeah. My first 5K was no, that. Hmm. Right, because you said that when you went in for your physical, that's when you were confronted with just exactly what was going on in your body. Mm-hmm. That okay. was in November of 2013, technically. Yeah. And then, yep, that next spring, I think it was April something, I did a 5K in Mississippi. Do you remember how it felt finishing the 5K? So good. Yeah. Yeah. I I felt so good. Like, I could, like, climb mountains. Like, I felt on top of the world because I had never done that before I've just never like had a goal and then reached it and then felt like that feeling you know interesting it's a I hear you say that but I also recognize that like you deployed with the navy yeah very different yeah that doesn't feel like an accomplishment yeah it's it's your job yeah so like there's no like yay Mm -hmm. I did this hard thing and got this for myself I did this hard thing for the government yeah you know <laughs> yeah. that's hard thing for everyone else but me like you know uh-huh. so it doesn't feel very personal so that was an opportunity through running to prioritize yourself mm-hmm. that's Without really special yeah. yeah that's really special yeah and so with that feeling of I could climb Everest I could do anything did you turn that power into anything else were you inspired to do anything differently keep running yeah I signed up for another race and then I signed up for a 10k in DC with my friends that were stationed there. It was like a way to see friends too. Yeah. So I signed up for a 10K. They ran with me. Um, and that felt like the hardest thing ever. I And it's so funny now, you know, like running marathons, but that 10K felt, I remember getting around like mile five and just feeling like my body started to really hurt. And I'm like, how am I supposed to get like through this last mile? Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember also after that feeling so accomplished, because like, I can't believe I did that, you yeah. know? How special. Yeah. How special. So you start to like kind of reclaim your sense of self, it sounds like, through running. But again, as we've addressed, like that can only get you so far. Were there any other hobbies or things that you would do while you were on the road to keep you occupied and kind of mix things up? Not really. I mean, I did this like, you know, the insanity videos. Yeah. I would do that if I couldn't run. I just put the video on my phone and then just do the workout like behind my trailer. Um, But really, no. I journal. Yeah. Talk I'm to a, me about journaling. I'm a big journaler. What are you writing about? Everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I used to journal as a kid. I love going back and like reading my old diaries. And I think it was a way because I grew up in such a like a like a tough household. It was a way for me to like be happy. Hmm. And I would I would never write the bad things in there. It was hmm. always like a happy thing, right? Um so it was almost like a gratitude journal. I didn't know it at the time, but that's probably what I was doing. And as I got older, I just like love being able to just like write about how I'm feeling or what made me happy today or what was like this crazy thing that happened. Yeah. Or like what I hope for my future goals. And at the time, like running, I just like kind of got sucked in. Like, oh, I want to run a half marathon. I want to run this many miles a week like mm-hmm. and make it happen no matter how crazy my schedule gets. And yeah. So journaling was it. Yeah. Yeah. D- these days, do you find yourself writing about all of it and not just the highlights? All of it. Yeah. The darkness and everything, which was forced upon me 
which is so like tell me about that (laughs) so after home base they set you up they make sure you're set up with therapists right after great right i ended up in an iop program which was nine to twelve every day what's iop stand for intensive outpatient program got it and you're with people dealing with depression anxiety and to keep that routine going like you have to be up you have to do this thing for three hours and they they'd always start off with like the meditation stuff and like in depression i love meditating i love journaling all that means nothing. Like, mm-hmm. get it away from me. Like, this is so annoying. Why are you putting on five minutes of meditative music? Like, all I'm thinking about is negative stuff. Like, you don't want to sit with it. your thoughts. Yes, ma'am. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, like, I was so annoyed. And then they'd always be like, here's a prompt and write about it. And it was always some, like, dark, like, deep question. Like, you had to dig for an answer. And then you and I remember the first day I, like, wrote it. This is a tough part, too. When I got out of the home base program. I've lost a lot of friends to suicide. I've lost like one more than one of my best friends. But one of the people I served with, he was like my best, best friend. And um, he ended up taking his life. And that kind of rocked me in like 2020. And then when I got out of the home base program, I graduated on a Friday. And on Saturday, I got a call that one of my their best friends took their life. So... I was a mess going into this IOP. I was not okay, right? It almost felt like everything I just like gained in the home base program was washed away because mm. I was just like grieving. So I remember like doing this prompt and then I didn't know how it went, but then they they want you to share it. So like I just wrote this really deep stuff on my paper. And now you want me to share it to a bunch of strangers I don't know. And like they they go around everyone so I can feel comfortable, you know, because I'm hearing everyone's story. So I guess in that should make you comfortable to share yours. And by the time it gets to me, I'm just like sobbing because none, none of these people know what like I'm going through. And I'm trying to like say the words and I can't get them out. And I just felt like like that was torture. Like mm. you just made me write this and then now you want me to share it. But that ended up being probably the most healing part of that IOP because I was able to speak these things that I was writing down. You know, and by the end, it felt like I was comfortable talking to these people about the dark thoughts I'm having in my head today Mm -hmm. or last night. How You know, so it was like really nice. Yeah. I'm so sorry to hear that. What does these days your regular self-care mental health practices look like? So I'm still not a morning person, but (laughs) (laughs) I like to wake up without my phone. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm like, I try to do that anyways, but I like to wake up and just like stretch and like just think. And I know that sounds weird, but I'll just like lay there and just be like, today is going to be a good day. Mm. Like, you know, like almost like speaking it into existence. And I just have to be positive in the morning, no matter how I'm feeling, like everything works out in your favor. Yeah. Like, you know, it's beautiful. You're breathing, you're healthy, you're not in pain, whatever I have to say to like almost like pump myself up. Like mm-hmm. today is going to be good. No matter what happens, today is going to be good. And then I get out of bed. <laughs> and then I get out yeah. of bed. But I have to have that moment because if I don't do that, like if I feel rushed and I just get up and go, mm-hmm. like I feel like it's easier for me to get negative. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That's totally understandable. Yeah. Uh, and then what does work look like for you these days? Oh, well, I just changed my schedule. Thank God. But I was working <laughs> uh, five days on the road, two days home. And that was killing me because I was just like, it's long days. I'm still not, I'm not a hundred percent, you know, um, I feel way better. Great. Um, but I'm, 
I can, I feel like sometimes like I still have moments, right? Like dips, but like now I can catch them and I know how to get out of them. And, um, so with work, that workload was just too much. And like, I'm okay with saying that now. Like, I don't have to work my butt off. Like right. I can take care of myself first. That's oh, another lesson I learned this year. It's okay to put yourself first. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm working a schedule where I work the five days on the road and I'm home for five days, oh, which nice. is huge. Yeah. yeah. So it's like I have time to decompress. Like last week was my first five days off. I was in bed the first two days because, like I said, I still have my moments. <laughs> um, but then the next three, I was able to be productive. And mm-hmm. when I got back to work, I felt light. I didn't feel like, yeah, I have to be at work. Yeah. And you said that you know how to help yourself get out of these moments now. What does that consist of? I think there's a mindset of knowing it's temporary. When I was in the dark place, you couldn't tell me there was a light at the end of the tunnel. I would have cussed you out. I was mad. How dare you say that? There's no light here. I'm not even seeing a therapist yet. I have no help yet. Where's When does it get better? Mm-hmm. You know, months down the road, even after therapy, when does it get better? You know, so I think now I know it gets better. Yeah. Yeah. And is that what you would say to someone else that feels as though they're also struggling? Yes. Yeah. Like, I get it. I know, I know how hard it feels, but I need you to know it gets better. You're, you have a much more accommodating schedule now. What other things are you looking forward to doing when you have your time off? I'm huge into hiking. Yeah. So I live in New Hampshire, so I go up to the White Mountains, mountains a lot, and um, I love hiking. So I can't wait to get back into that now that it's like the weather's changing. Yes. Yes. Very excited. I ski, so that's what I do during the winter. I just love being outdoors, honestly. Get me right water. Get me in the woods. Mm-hmm. I'm happy. For you, obviously, running has also opened up uh, a different community, right? Now you have so many people in your network that you didn't have previously. How has that helped you? I love the running community. And I was scared of it at first. Like, I I feel like I'm, I'm like an anomaly. Like, not many people look like me. Like, I'm a tall, thick, dark-skinned woman, mm-hmm. right? And you go to a race, and I'm, I'm probably the only tall, dark-skinned, thick, woman right like I'm probably the only one there and I'm like and that used to make me feel so uncomfortable Mm. right and because I'm like oh I don't belong in this space you're lining up for a race everyone looks a certain way right and you're like the anomaly um but I realized that people don't care (laughs) they will cheer you on (laughs) they don't care what you look like and I don't know the way the running community has had my back, especially this last year. When I say I posted in this group, it's like she runs this town. And I was like, hey, everyone, I'm dealing with depressive episode. I'm missing a bunch of my training runs. I have to run Chicago. Like, are you guys willing to meet me for runs? When I tell you I didn't want to run one run alone training for Chicago, that is amazing. Yeah, that is amazing that people came out for me. Yeah, people I didn't even know. And also everything that you were saying about like feeling othered by showing up and being the only person that looks like you. Yeah, that's understandable as well. And I think that it's so special, this opportunity that we have within marathoning that you show up and regardless of what you look like, everyone is there just cheering on absolutely everyone. It's the most invigorating feeling. It's amazing. Yeah. I do. It's not lost on me that there still are like certain issues with access. Oh, of course. Yeah. We, as 
humans and as a society, we should always want to grow and be better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think just in the running community and like with race organizers, like there's still room to grow. Mm -hmm. Not everything's perfect right now. No, it's not. And I know like even especially like this race running through like so many predominantly mm-hmm. white neighbor, all of them are predominantly yeah. white neighborhoods. Um, <laughs> Joy's living in New England. <laughs> yes, literally. <laughs> Do you know someone that lives in New Hampshire? Yeah. yeah. Like it's it's certainly not lost on me that there is so far to go. Right. But we have made strides and there's it's really exciting to be able to be a part of what happens next. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Do you feel that way too? I actually feel like people are finally being heard mm. and speaking. I feel like growing up, I also grew up in like New York. So I was around diversity for a while. And then we moved to New Hampshire when I was like getting into middle school. That was a shock. I was like, clearly, right? <laughs> um, there's like, what, 1% black people in New Hampshire or something? Yeah. Very small. And I could not speak up. There was no safe space for me to be me. Mm. I ha- I literally was like, okay, I have to blend in. And we're straightening, relaxing your hair. We're wearing, you know what I mean? Losing your accent. Like my family's African. Like speak proper. Like you need to like literally fit in. And that's exactly what I did. Like it was almost like survival, right? And then as I got older, it's like, no, you're going to embrace you. You know, wear your hair however you want, no matter who it bothers. Like, talk however you want. You know what I mean? Act however you want. Be you. Like, you don't need to fit in. And I think as a, like, community, people are okay with speaking up against things that are not right. Right? And people are like, oh, I didn't even know that was a problem. Mm. Because we were just harboring it. Mm -hmm. We would talk about it within ourselves with people, we like, our best friends, our close friends. But we weren't speaking out to the world to be like this is what life looks like for me today yeah or every day yeah right how do you feel being someone um as you do like speak up more and you know as i mentioned you work with ufos so you've been featured on their platforms how does it feel for you to be i feel like trailblazer is a big word but someone that is at the forefront and other women are seeing you speak out and they may feel compelled to do the same I feel like this is all still very new, right? I just got with UFOs like a year ago, a year ago when I was in my darkest place. So imposter syndrome, right? I was still having like negative thoughts. Like, why why are you taking pictures of me? Why do you think I'm worthy of being on this billboard or whatever? Mm -hmm. Um, I've gained so much weight right in my depression. I'm so sick right now. And you're blowing me up for the world to see. And I was, when I tell you, like, obviously it was so great to be like on a storefront window on Boylston Street last year during the marathon. I, I was honored, but like I hated that picture. Yeah. And the day that I was leaving, this woman walked up and she goes, I just started running. My husband runs a bunch of marathon. He ran Boston yesterday. And she's like, this is the first time I saw someone that had thighs like me. And I literally just like cried because yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize that it like it could affect anyone because she, she literally like walks in the store. She goes, is that you? Like on the front of the store. And I was like, yeah. And she just like to be like, oh, I ran by here yesterday and I was hoping that you would be in here. Like how sweet. That's so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is like this is a positive thing. There's like a through line here that we keep coming back to, which is the importance of knowing that however it is that you feel you are not alone in that. Right. Yes. So whether it is dealing with issues with your mental health or feeling insecure in your body or God knows what. I mean, a zillion things that we all complain about Mm -hmm. every single day. Right. Um, Your feelings are valid. 
They're so valid. And you are not the only person who has to navigate them, right? So there's freedom in speaking up. And it might not always be easy. And more often than not, it's not. But when you do, that is how you find your own freedom. That is how you feel lighter. You do. I remember, obviously, before this year, I you would not know anything's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. To my friends, I always have it together. I'm the one everyone calls for problems. I'm the one that helps everybody. But no one needs to help me. I always got it together, right? Yeah. And this last year was, I need to help. People need to come over and help me clean the house. Yeah. I couldn't do dishes. Friends with, you know, to be able to send a text like that, talk about being humbling. Be like, I haven't been able to do my dishes in two weeks. Can you please come over and help me? How impressive it is for you to do that. For you to say, I need help. And get to that place. Shit's hard. (sighs) You don't realize it. But then you think, I'm not going to (laughs) cry. I'm like, oh gosh, I feel the eyes. Because it's like, my whole life giving of myself, I think I put worth there. Like I am a value to you because I'm helping you. Um, But I never saw that value in myself that I deserve that help too. You do. You do. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. I totally, (laughs) I am right there with you. It's so understandable to like feel that emotion, right? <laughs> oh my god. Oh, no, I I totally resonate with this and and as a self-proclaimed giver, I know that I can only keep giving if I allow people to give to me. That's it. So right now, someone goes to your Instagram page and they see a passionate woman who loves running, who loves her job, a woman who has really dedicated herself to the giving of others, for Mm -hmm. others. When you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you? I can honestly say I feel beautiful right now, right? So, like, I know this is so crazy. <laughs> like, and people are like, duh. Like, right? Like, everyone's like, no, everyone's not beautiful, right? But, like, for me to, like, feel it, like, not being in my best body or my best shape or whatever, like, I can genuinely look at myself and just feel good. Yeah. Right? Like, there's no judgment right now. And I really, really like that. I feel like I don't need to fit a mold to, like, look good to the outside world. Like, I look good for me. Oh, my heart. Like, I'm just, like, beaming for you. Because that is goals, right? That's goals for everyone. Just to literally look in the mirror and feel beautiful. Because we can should ourselves into positive self-talk, affirmations, all these things all day, every day. But at the end of the day, it's, like, truly about how you feel. And knowing that how you feel, get off my soapbox in a second, but how you feel, it that's a you thing. No one else can should you into how you feel. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So to hear you say that after everything that you have so generously shared, I, I'm i so happy for you that Thank you feel you. that way. I think that's awesome. That's truly awesome. I was going to say, is there anything maybe even as of more recently that you feel like has helped you get to that place? I, I'm moving my body, right? So I know, I know I'm healthy. Yeah. I think that helps. My body is still capable of hard things, you know, like the quote. I keep saying, like, I let go. Like, my body is what it is right now for a reason. I went through something very hard, right? And it's okay that my body doesn't look like it did before. If it's meant to get back there, it will. 
but I'm not like, oh, I need to go on this diet and like lose weight or, you know, get a flat belly. Like, nope. You know what I did? I just sized up on my bikinis like, you know, and I'm still going to wear a bikini this summer. But like I bought bigger shorts. I'm just going to be comfortable in like the clothes that I'm going to be wearing this summer. I'm not going to try and squeeze into the jeans that I wore before. Like not necessary. Not necessary. At all. Oh, I'm so happy for you. And like this has been such a such a journey (laughs) for me personally. (laughs) But it's you've had such a beautiful journey. And, you know, you said it going to that home based program and learning that you weren't alone and now you sitting here and sharing what you've been through someone else listening to this also just also feels like they are not alone so i would encourage you uh to keep talking and to keep opening up because i think it's really special and it's such a great opportunity for us to do that with each other right yes (laughs) right now you have an opportunity to give yourself a piece of advice when you're in the thick of it you're in that moment where you can't get out of bed and you're thinking that you might need to take a leave of absence and you're trying to make some changes for yourself. Knowing what you know now, what would you tell yourself during that hurdle moment? It's okay to put yourself first. I am so happy that we did this. Thank you so much Yuma, for, mm-hmm. for sharing, for opening up. How do the hurdlers keep up with you? How do they follow along with you? Give us all the details. Um, well, my Instagram is Yuma Hydera. I'm very basic. All my socials are just my first and last name because no Easy. one else has my first and last name that I know of. <laughs> so yes, that's okay. how you follow me. Beautiful. I'm over at Hurdle Podcast and at Emily Abadi. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. 